Um, I, I said last time that I was going to talk to you about um, single, the single guys. Um, I think I lied. We're not going to do that today for two reasons. Number one, I don't think we have time for what we're going to do. And number three, number two, um, I, I forgot the stuff I wanted to talk from, so I'm not going to do it. But anyway, um, thank you guys so much for coming. It's great to have you guys here. Um, thank you for the sacrifice you make to get up early and to come. Yeah, that uh, is very encouraging to have you guys here. Um, and there's 20 other guys meeting over at Smith's house right now doing something similar. And that's just exciting to think about 70 guys or so um, committing themselves to really understanding God's word and uh, wanting to become good leaders in the church and in their homes. So... Let's do what we always do. Take your notebook and turn it over to the back. And let's walk through the disciplines of build. Again, the whole main idea is what we're trying to do with build is we're trying to have a, um, a we're creating a platform where we can call the men of the church um, to that platform where we can then try to unite ourselves around these spiritual leadership biblical disciplines. That's the whole point. Is um, I think I've told you, at, uh, you know, one of the things that happens at other churches. This is this was the case in, in my experience in churches past. Is that each ministry and each pastor of each ministry was responsible for developing his leaders uh, the way that he felt he should develop leaders. And so, uh, if I was a, a youth pastor at one place, what I felt were the kinds of things that my leaders needed to be got this. Um, if they, you know, at some point ended working with students and went to children's ministry, there were different expectations. You know, there was a lot of similarity. Obviously, everybody wants their servers to be godly and things like that. But there was just, there wasn't a cohesiveness among the ministries of the church about what leadership was. And um, we found ourselves at a, a really interesting and uh, kind of a place at Grace Bible Church many years ago where we really wanted to capitalize on it and say, let's call the men of the church to unite around these leadership disciplines and these will be the disciplines and these will be the kinds of things that men need to be regardless of what ministry they go to so that when they do go with Eric and they're in Next Generation Ministry, what he does is he just simply reinforces the things that are being talked about and he then spends the bulk of his time uh, really pressing the specifics of what it means to be involved with children and teaching children. Uh, you go to student ministries, and Josh Miles can do the same thing there, you, you know, whatever. So we want all of the men of the church coming and uniting around these leadership biblical disciplines. Um, so if you profess Christ and Grace Bible Church is your home, uh, we want that kind of guy in here. Uh, so it's really a, a, a ground floor, entry-level Men of the church, come here. If you can be a man that grows in these things for the rest of your life, you, this is not something that you get and, and graduate from and hang on your wall like a diploma and and only time you remember it is when you see it behind the door. Um, no, not, it's not like that at all. You never graduate from this. But if you can begin to work on these things, there um, there is tons of potential for your leadership in your home and in the church. Um, you will be a man who has something to offer in Christ to um, others. So let's talk about discipline one. It all begins with your heart. You cannot...
play leapfrog over your heart. And your fleshly tendency, if you do nothing, you will play leapfrog over your heart every single time. You will. It takes discipline to do this. You are swimming upstream. And it takes hard work to make progress, let alone just to stay in the same spot. So it takes hard work to make progress. If you stop swimming and you're swimming upstream, what happens to you? You go backwards. You will not go in the direction that you want. You must attend to your heart. You must pay attention to your heart. You need to know what God's word says about your heart. You need to know what God in the gospel has done for your heart. And then you need to shepherd your heart. You need to bring it before God's word, um, not to win arguments, not to just get truth, but you need to bring it, your heart to God's word primarily to know the God who saved you, to love the God who saved you, to worship the God who saved you. When your Bible is open and it's just you and your Bible and God, it needs to be worshipful. It needs to be a, a time where you're drawing near to God, where you're begging him. You're using words like David, like uh, my soul thirsts for you. I need you right now and I need you always more than I need anything else. But especially now. Uh, it's like you, you become like Jacob and you're wrestling with God. And you say, I won't let you go until you bless me. There needs to be something of an attitude like that when you're reading God's word that you're saying, I'm not going to, God, I don't want to, I don't want to walk away from this time until I know that, that, that I've, I've found your blessing. I've been with you. Um, and you've been with me. And uh, that's something that's far too easy. You can open your Bible and, and that not happen. That, that's easy. Do you understand? <clears throat> Not every single time you read your Bible, you're going to feel like it was just, you know, you're not going to feel like, you know, you were just standing or kneeling by the burning bush, okay? But the point is, is you discipline yourself with that in mind. And regardless of how it feels, you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. And you do it again, and that is the difference between a leader in the church and just Joe Blow in the pew. The leader knows he must do that. If he does not, he will, he will die. He will not be a man that God desires him to be, and a leader knows that he must do that. You don't have to tell the guy who's a leader, a spiritual leader, you don't have to tell him, hey, don't, don't forget, read your Bible. He wants to do that, desires to do that. That's what you're striving to be. Okay, If you do that, you, whatever God puts in front of you after that um, has amazing potential. Um, whatever ministry, whatever relationships God puts into your life after that will have an amazing, uh, you'll, have a, you'll have an impact because you are a man who meets with God and you have something to say. When Moses walked down from the mountain and he stepped back into the, the lives of, of Israel, as they were at the bottom, they were afraid of him. Why? He was glowing. Because he had been so near to the radiant glory and impressiveness and splendor of God that it was actually physically on him somehow. Um, they knew that he, had been a, he was a man who had been with God. And um, how much more so with us? He didn't have Messiah. And he didn't have all of the word of God that you and I have. Um, now, people aren't going to see it necessarily physically on you. 
But how much more should they be able to sense that you are a man of God because of what you and I have in, in the Word of God? We can draw near to God in a way Moses never could. We have the Spirit of God in a way that he never did. Um, so you, you will make an impact on people around you. And the first place that you need to make an impact is your household, where you live, the people you live with. And that is too easy to play leapfrog. If you don't discipline yourself to think about that, to plan for that, you won't do it. You just watch. I mean, we've talked about this. From the, This happens in young men from the earliest times up. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and, and when I started getting in junior high and high school and I wanted to, I had a lots of friends who were outside of the home. Man, I could not get out of my house fast enough. I didn't want to be in my house. The, the interesting people weren't in my house. The influential people were not in my home, according to my thinking. They were all outside of my home. And so it, it's just a part of, of who we are, it's, I think especially as, as young men. We want to get out of the house as fast as possible. And so then we turn 18, 19, we go to college, and man, we think we, we're, we're alive now for the first time. Outside of the home. And then we are living with guys, and the next thing we know, like in, you know, with roommates in the dorm or whatever, and we don't care about them either. We don't want it, to... It's hard to arrange time and coordinate... Why would I... Again, all the interesting people aren't the people that I'm living with anymore. It was interesting for a while. Um, and then... But, oh, but when I get married, it won't be that way at all. Because she will always be interesting to me. And of course, the great assumption the whole time is the people that live with us find us completely interesting. Right? Um, but it'll be different when we get married. And then we get married, and it's interesting for a while. And then it, it's not interesting. And then we get really interested with our work. Uh, we get interested maybe with ministry because the church, I mean, the church really needs us. It's young or it's weak, and it's, it needs some guys. And so we run into ministry. And I tell you, if you don't think about planning to be home, planning to spend time with the people in your household, you will you'll miss them. You'll play leapfrog with them. Um, I'm, I'm pre- I'll, tell you, I'll just be honest with you. This week, I, I, I don't, I can't remember. Zach, when was the last time? When were you, when, were you guys over Monday night? Do you remember? Uh, no, Thursday night. Well, last night? Or two nights ago? Two nights ago, yeah. I think that was like the only night I was home for dinner this week. <coughs> That's just not. I don't want to have a life that's continually that way. Sometimes it goes that way and there's nothing you can do about it and it is, or maybe you could have done something about it but you just weren't thinking. But So I mean, you've got to constantly be evaluating and planning, okay? Make an impact on those people. They should, the people that you live with should, should uh, get a sense of a gospel aroma coming off of you, um, that there's an influence from you towards Christ. Um, even if you live alone, Invite people into your household so that they can come in and, and be impacted by what God is, is doing in your life. Serve them. Minister to them. And then, of course, you want to be stepping in discipline three into the lives of people outside of your home, in the church, and even outside the church. Um, and you want to have a gospel-centered ministry as you do that. And... Um, I tell you what, you at that point, if you are taking care of step one, step two, discipline one, step uh, discipline two, uh, those people will will sense that wherever you have been, you're a you're a, a, a man of depth. 
there's a thickness and a stability to who you are spiritually. Um, you don't want them to spend a bunch of time with you and then all of a sudden you stop by your house uh, with you to go do something and then walk in the house and, and get the sense that people uh, there don't even notice that you're there or care that you're there or, or whatever. I mean, you, you want them to see that what, they, what you are with them out in the world is what you are at home with the people you live with in private. And so uh, make sure that you are not playing leapfrog over those first two disciplines to get to the third. Um, and regardless, if you're taking care of your heart in your home, uh, if God gives you a ministry to five people the rest of your life, that will be one of the most significant ministries that five people on the earth will ever have had. If you take care of your heart in your home and God gives you an opportunity to minister to 5,000 people for the rest of your life, that has the potential of being an amazing ministry to 5,000 people. It doesn't matter how many. The point is, be the right kind of man at home and in your heart. Discipline four is all about the qualifications, uh, right? First uh, Timothy 3 in particular, the deacon qualifications we point you to, but we would also say set in front of yourself prayerfully the elder qualifications and, and see what God would do in your life. Um, all of those qualifications in the list fall either in the category or discipline one, two, or three. What kind of man is he at, at the heart level? What's he like in his home? And what is he like among people as he ministers um, inside and outside the home? Uh, discipline four, uh, five is the one on the hermeneutic, right? Where we're going to start at, by the end of the time together uh, talking about what, what is the right way to interpret Scripture. Hermeneutics is just the rules for interpretation. It's a system of interpretation. Um, and we'll talk about what those rules are. Uh, for interpreting, uh, and that really kind of sets uh, that kind of puts a guy in the in the slingshot and pulls him back at the end of build, and then the, you don't get really let go until you, if, if you go to H three, because that's when Smed will sit with you, and um, on, on a weekly basis, not every other week like this, but on a weekly basis, he will walk you through how to really handle a passage of scripture. Uh, and you will actually, by the end of the year that you do that, you will, you will actually preach that passage to the guys in H3 for 20 minutes. Um, whether you think you can do it or not, you will do it. Um, <laughs> and by the time, you know, you know what you'll find out? You'll find out that, that you know what, based on what Smed walks us through, walks you through, um, it's, not, it's, not a, uh, it's not an impossible task. It's not as daunting as you thought it was. Because when you are trained to let the text simply just say what the text says, you're not trying to theologically pull together all the corners of the Bible. What does the Word of God say about the sovereignty of God? No, just what does this passage tell us about the sovereignty of God? I'm going to let this passage speak on its own authority. And you're going to learn some things grammatically, so you're going to be able to watch for some things that will... It'll just... It'll do it for you. It, it does. When you understand... How grammar and syntax works and all of that um, with an English text, not with a Greek one or even a Hebrew. But when you just let English do what English does, it maps it out for you. It'll tell you where to put your next step. And all you need is just a little training on how to view language and how to view words and, and how they relate to one another. And uh, it'll do all the work for you. Um, well, then you've got a, a lot of work to do yourself too. But um, That's the hermeneutic. And then lastly, you're at Grace Bible Church, you're not at some other church, and this church specifically has a, a vision and a purpose that it's important for you to know and understand so that you can be the right kind of leader who could then even draw others into the vision and purpose of the church. 
uh, to be about the glory of God, the cross of Jesus, a transformed life by the Spirit, also that we can draw in, build up, and send out disciples of Christ. Okay? That is what you need to eat, drink, sleep, and whatever else. And when you are meeting together with guys in the church, uh, the things that you need to be concerned about with one another are these things. The place to begin your conversation is, how's your heart this week? And uh, how can I pray for you in the home? What's going on? Um, And those kinds of things. Make sense? Yeah? Any thoughts or questions, comments? Tom or Scott, any elder wisdom? how we delude ourselves, deceive ourselves. <clears throat> well, if I don't feel like it, I'm not, I, I don't want to be insincere. I mean, I don't, want, I don't want to be a hypocrite as I open God's word. I mean, if I don't really feel like it and my heart's not really, you know, maybe genuine in doing it, I, I don't want to do it. That's, that's deception. You, if you don't feel like doing it, the point is <clears throat> you know the right thing to do. Do it. You do it anyway. You don't wait until you feel like it. The way that God has done so, wired so much of the Christian life is that feeling follows doing. Your, your desires will be... God gives you desires in the new man when you come to Christ. New desires. You will find now that an awareness of sin that you never had before Okay, and now you all of a sudden, you, oh my goodness, I have a desire. I don't want to. I don't want to talk that way. I don't want to think that way. I don't want to act that way. That came from nowhere. That didn't come from nowhere. It didn't come from you. It just came out from God as He transformed you. But then, as you walk in sanctification, a lot of that desire is fanned into a flame, not just by itself. Desire necessarily will not sustain desire. What sustains desire is acting on it, doing it in the, in the power of the, of the Spirit of God, in the, by the grace of God in the Gospel, by doing what you know is right. So you read your Bible when, you're, when your heart is dry. You read it, and you come to it with a prayer like, God, I'm dry, and I know you see it more than I do. Now here I am. I'm a mess. I am not what I want to be. This is not what I desire, but here I am. God, would you please do something? I've positioned myself, i position my heart in front of your word. Will you please do another miracle in my life and warm my heart today? And then you read your Bible. And you read your Bible and you, and you pay attention and you work. And then you walk away from that and if you didn't feel anything, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. You want your affections to be even stirred. But you, you do the same thing again the next day. Or you do that later in the day. You do it as often as you need to. You keep bringing yourself there. It's like you wouldn't do that with food. 
You wouldn't wait just to, you, you don't do that with exercise. You don't do that with you know, things of your life just waiting for desire. Or if you do just wait for desire, uh, there's going to be some things going to be way out of whack in your life. You have to do them because you just know it's right to do. You have to discipline yourself. That's why it's called a discipline. So don't give up, guys. I mean, I'm telling that that's great um, in terms of talk with somebody. I had lunch uh, this week with a, a, a good friend who, he's, this is exactly where he's at. He's just, and he, he's miserable. He doesn't want to be where he's at. He doesn't like the fact that he uh, just seems to have no desire. It seems to be so easy for him to not want to read his Bible right now and meet with God. And we just talked about, okay, let's say you, let's say you don't do it. Where are you going to be? But let's talk about where you're going to end up. And he's just like, oh, that's not an option. So, you know, we're just trying to encourage each other and, and uh, spur one another on to, to do what we know is right. Right? So, hang in there, guys. Yes, Tom. Um, just to our reading this week, which, by the way, I'm a little slow to get on to the reading thing that Victor Hilly said. My wife and I are reading the same thing. Cool. So you talked about this guy saying he's miserable and he doesn't want to end up where he's going and he knows what he needs. And just reading through uh, Amos, this is really scary verse to me. Um, you know, and it, it's prophetic. And Amos says that, you know, the Lord is talking here. He says, And I will turn your vegetables in the morning. So, you know, we're all, you know, these people are going to be heard and they're going to be seeking the Lord. And God says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, and I will bring a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. That, that just, I mean, sort of stake my heart. And, and the next verse says, People will stagger from sea to sea. You know, so they'll be miserable, seeking the Lord, seeking the needs of other blessings. People will stagger from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro and seek the word of the Lord. They will not find it. And uh, I, I see and I talk about this almost every day. I've never seen that kind of family. You know, I don't think there's anywhere else. This is the first time I've ever, ever seen it. Yeah. That, that, is, <clears throat> that is a place on earth that is probably closer to hell than anything else. But isn't that describing hell? I mean, most people. I mean, I look at hell has been described to me as fire, and the flames are up. You kind of see visions of people's faces, and they're burning, and they're agonizing, and there would be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. But when there's been gnashing of teeth, is they'll still be complaining. There's not going to be any repentance on their part. Right. They say, God, I'm sorry for what I did. You know, it's not that. It's that they're going to be complaining. And just mad and anger, and there's just no relief from that. And I, I guess when they're in hell, they don't even know why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, to be to be in a place where you <clears throat> have the Word of God abundantly, you, you don't even have to work to hear it because you've got 14 Bibles at home, and you go to church and you're in small group and you. You know, listen to stuff on the internet and you, you know, it's just everywhere. To have that and not position yourself in front of it, 
What a terrible thing it would be that if God removed all of that and all of a sudden you came to your senses, but you couldn't hear it. That would be a horrible thing. That's what he's talking about with Israel there. Mark. Is there a chance that he's referring to the time between the estimates of 400 years and the prophets? Yeah, I don't know. The... That would assume then that, that they would not be able to hear Mosaic Law or the Psalms as they were being collected. It seems like for 400 years they went about and they heard stuff that they might have identified as the word of the Lord, hmm. training in that, but it wasn't. Yeah. Could be. Could be. I haven't, I haven't thought about it that way. That's, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. And that, that's a good thought. My, my whole thing is it's just. That's good. Well, with that in mind, let's pray and we'll jump into Titus 2. Can we do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here this morning because um, of you and because of your great work in our lives through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. Lord, thank you so much for... Um, resolving in your own heart to do what you did through your son. Thank you for his willingness to submit to your plan and your will. Thank you that it was his great desire to not do his own will, but to do yours. Um, Even if it meant being forsaken by you at the cross, even if it meant um, being judged and receiving the penalty um, in our place, Lord. Thank you for his willingness to align himself with your plan to save sinners. Thank you for the follow-through that he was able to accomplish. For him to say it is finished, Lord, is uh, makes our hearts leap for joy, recognizing that what was needed at the cross, he himself um, was able to do. And that he did not breathe his last because the nails and the blood and the pain uh, drew out that last breath, but he gave it up. He laid his life down, and three days later, he took it up again. He had the authority to do that. Lord, what we are today, we know we are because of, of what you have done, because of your resolve, because of your promise, because of the fact that you kept your promise, Lord. And, um, Lord, we are stunned and humbled and we are thrilled that you are a a promise-keeping God. And Father, I can look at my own life and see how I oftentimes want, uh, I want to be a resolved man. I I make resolves, I, I want to plan and I want to promise you. And Father, I... I'm so impressed with myself at points that I, I construct these high towers of, of promises that I make and, and they begin to overshadow um, and block my view of your promises in the gospel. And then, God, all it takes is for you to um, let me feel my weakness and, and my sinfulness and those promises of mine come tumbling down. And Father, that is a good thing. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be men that would uh, learn and be wise to not construct our our big towers of our own promises. Lord, we need to be resolved. We need to be disciplined. We need to plan. But 
But help us to never do that without first just coming back again to your great promises in the gospel. Help us to preach the gospel to ourselves. To remember what you did in crucifying Christ. To remember what you did and proclaim over ourselves again that you raised him up from the dead and that you seated him in the heavenlies. And and then joy of joys, you united us somehow spiritually with him in that death, that burial, that resurrection, and that ascension. And because we are seated above with Christ, we needed to seek we need to seek the things that are above. So God, thank you just for what you have done in the gospel, through the power of your spirit in our lives. We are here this morning to sit under your word again and to in particular let Titus two, just a few verses there, reveal to us what um, you have for us. So God, open our eyes, make our hearts soft. And fill us up to the full with who you are and what you have for us in Christ. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we are going to fly like the wind, bullseye. Um, I thought run like the wind. Run like the wind, that's what we're going to do. Anyway, let's uh, look at uh, Titus chapter 2. That's Toy Story. If you don't have kids, you don't... It's all right, never mind. We're going to talk about Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. I want to read verses 3 to 5 to you and then have you be puzzled as to why we would do this. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Older women. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Why in the world are we doing this? Well, let's back up. Introduction, some questions to clarify the context. Why did Paul leave Titus in Crete? Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Well, it's for this reason I left you in Crete. That you would set in order what remains... And appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Evidently, whatever work, uh, gospel mission work that was being done in Crete, was, was they were not able to finish it the way Paul wanted it to be finished. There are some things left undone, some things remain to be done that, that have not been done yet. And it says, appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Now, uh, the question there is how closely related is set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. Is it two inseparable or two separable things that are unrelated? Like, hey honey, when you go to the store, can you get some shampoo and tomatoes? They have nothing to do with each other. We're just out of them. Are we thinking that way? Or is there, no, there's actually a, a connection in Paul's mind. There's something that needs, there's some things that need to be set in order that remain and appoint elders. And I think it's that idea. There's something of significant relationship, what remains is there's not elders yet in these churches. And so that is why Paul left Titus in Crete. And so the very first thing that he jumps to after the uh, opening greeting is who the elders are supposed to be. What are they supposed to be like? Namely, if any man is above reproach, verse 6, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach. As God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, 
not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That's why Paul left Titus in Crete. Now, why then? Next question in your introduction. Why do elders need to be able to both uh, able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict? Why? Look at verse 10. Because, for, there are many rebellious men, empty talkers. And listen, it's not like the, the rebellious men are on the other side of town and the church is over here. No, the church is here, and where the church is, there's a bunch of rebellious men. There are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, the Jews, once again causing trouble as the gospel expands. And these men must be silenced, verse 11, because they're upsetting whole families. How are they doing that? Well, they're teaching things they should not for the sake of sordid gains. These guys are are greedy, and they're teaching things they shouldn't teach. One of them, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. Do you see Paul's heart even for these rebellious men? Reprove them soundly. Why? They need to be sound in the faith. Not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. That's not a good place where these rebellious men are. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. That is why elders need to be able to both uh, exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. These guys are out and about, and they are causing havoc. They're taking households, and they're upsetting them, like an apple cart. Just knocking the shopping cart over, and everything goes on the ground. The family is is in in disarray everywhere. Well, how should Titus be compared then, third question, to the false teachers? Verse 1, but, contrast, as for you, Titus, how should you be different? Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. These guys don't have sound doctrine. They need soundness in the faith. They teach things they should not teach. You need to be a different kind of man. You need to be a man who speaks the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Um, Well, next question. What is Paul's teaching strategy then for Titus? He then is going to, obviously, if these guys are wreaking havoc everywhere, what he wants Titus to teach is then going to help set straight what has been upset. Do you understand? Wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't you do that if you were writing a letter? Well, what is Paul's teaching strategy for Titus so he can address the damage caused by the false teachers? And remember, a lot of it was felt where? At the household level, right? Verse 2, older men. Verse 3, older women. Okay, verse 4, young women. Verse 6, young men. And verse 9, bond slaves or slaves. You know who these people are? These are all people that you will find living in a house. 
It's like what Paul did in Ephesians with his household code or his household text from Ephesians 5.22 to chapter 6, verse 9. Okay? These are people you'd find in a house. And so families are being upset. And Titus, you need to be different. So Titus, here's what I want you to do. Instruct them, the people, the individual groups within households. He didn't do husbands and wives. He did older men and younger men. Older men and older women, younger women and younger men. Okay? Does that make sense? Well, what is ultimately at stake then? What is, what is Titus ultimately, or I'm sorry, what is Paul ultimately concerned with? There's a few verses that stand out here in verses 1 to 10. Look at verse 1. You need to teach the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, for sound teaching. Verse 5, and this is what we'll see t- today. Look how the verse ends. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. That's what's ultimately at stake. Sound doctrine, being in the presence of, presence of, of all of these different people in the, in the body and in the family. So that the word of God is not dishonored. Look at verse 8. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And then look at verse 10. After addressing the bond slaves... So that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Adorning the doctrine, dressing it up, not because it's not pretty itself, but often what a beautiful woman will do is she will know how to even accentuate her inherent beauty with adornment. The gospel has inherent beauty. By the way you live, slaves, Draw that out in sound doctrine. Draw that out in the gospel by the way you live. Younger women, don't let the word of God be dishonored. That is ultimately is what's at stake in Paul's mind. Well, why is it possible for these believers to do this? What has happened that makes it possible for believers to adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect through their behavior? What has happened that lets them, through their behavior, be able to do this? Chapter 2, verse 11. Well, because the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. By the way, um, just a side note, uh, just, we're going to take one step onto a rabbit trail, and then we're going to come right back. All men. Is there anything in the context here that would help you understand who all men are? When it says that all of Judea was coming out to John the Baptist to be baptized, does all mean all? It only means all in the sense of all rarely ever means all exclusively. So you look in the context. What does all men here most likely refer to? All the kinds of men that we, I just mentioned. Old men, older women, young Men, younger women, slaves, all kinds of men. Okay? Now we're back on the path. Um, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Here's Here's why we can live the way we live, which then adorns the gospel, the doctrine of God, Well, God's grace has appeared, and God's grace in our lives, what does it do? 
It doesn't just save you and give you fire insurance from hell. It actually instructs you. It trains you to live a godly life. That's the grace of God in the gospel. It's powerful. This is why you never graduate from the gospel. This is why you never graduate from the grace of God, because it continues to instruct you how to live. We're looking for the blessed hope and appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. And he gave himself for us to purify for himself a people for his own possession. What kind of people? Here's desire. Zealous for good deeds. That's us. That's why he died, so that you and I would be zealous for good deeds. Wow. So there's your whole context of where it sits. Now, do you understand where verses 3 to 5, or even, you know, really 2 to 10 fits in all of that? So then here's the question I want to ask you. Why is it important for men in the church to understand God's gospel implications for women? Why are we even talking about this in a men's leadership development meeting? I have four reasons. Number one, I must align my leadership. And you can fill in the blank there. I must align my leadership with God's gospel expectations for the women in my home. Or the women who will be in my home someday if I get married and have kids. Okay? I must align my leadership. Listen, guys, if God has something in mind with the gospel and he's going to shape women to be a certain thing, and if your leadership is counterproductive to that, that's a problem. This is why we need to go over this. So that your leadership in the home is aligned with what God expects in the gospel. What the gospel produces in women, my leadership needs to make sure that it's working in conjunction with that in the women in my home. Same with you. Does that make sense? We've got to align these things. Number two, my leadership must help the women or the woman in my home embrace God's gospel and gospel implications for their living. I need to lead in such a way that my wife would say, you know what? I not only know what God's gospel is and the implications of it on my life, but I love it. I embrace it. I want it. And I need to lead and create that kind of an atmosphere in my home by God's grace uh, so that they would actually want that. You want your daughters someday to grow up under your leadership and go, I want what God's gospel shapes me into. I want it. And my dad was a huge part of that. You want your wife to thrive and want that. So you better know what it is. Right? Number three. My leadership of the women in my home must contribute to the adorning of the gospel and the silencing of critics. There's your two blanks there. To contribute to the adorning of the gospel and the silencing of critics. If what's ultimately at stake in Paul's mind is we want the gospel of our God, the doctrine of God, to appear to be this beautiful and amazing, powerful thing that it is, well then my leadership, I want my leadership to point to that and to help make that be the case for anybody who sees I want my leadership to help the gospel look great. And the way that that's going to happen is by me helping the women in my my household understand these things. Of course, for myself, if I'm a younger man or an older man um, or a middle-aged man or whatever. um, You want there to be a direct link between the gospel looking great and your leadership. I'm going to say that again. Listen. You want a direct link between the gospel looking great and the way you lead your home. You don't want God's gospel to look great in spite of the way you lead. 
Now, it's going to happen anyway, by God's grace and by his power. But look, let's labor by the Spirit of God and the grace of God that, no, I want to lead in a way that directly helps make the gospel look great. And the way that's going to happen is through the way we behave, the way we live. And especially this morning as we look at verses 3 to 5, the way the women in our homes are to live. And lastly, number four, my leadership of the women in my home can protect my household from being upset. Remember, that was the context here, right? My leadership of the women in my home can protect my household by back, uh, from being upset by bad doctrine. And so we need to spiritually protect the women in our home from false doctrine. How do you do that? Two things. You place the gospel in front of the women in your home and you place the implications of the gospel on their lives in front of them all the time. Here's what the gospel is. Jesus Christ crucified for sinners. Wrath taken away. Guilt taken away. A new heart for those who uh, repent and believe. And it continues to train you to live a different life. You are zealous for good deeds. By grace you have been saved through faith. Yes, that's true. You are not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. The gospel brings about implications on your life. You keep that in front of your women in your house all the time. That protects them. When they are constantly looking at the real thing, the real thing, the real thing, the real thing, when the counterfeit comes, what? That's counterfeit. I'm not going to listen to that. Right? All right, so a few other questions for you. How are... How aware have you been of Titus, of what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says? And what it means for the women around you in the church, whether you're married or not. If you're a single guy, um, I would hope that after today you would think, I need to know what God is um, planning for women in the gospel. Even though I'm not married yet, even though uh, there's no woman in my life, I, I would hope you would recognize I need to be aware of it. Um, it's never too early to start being aware of it. So how aware have you been? Um, if you don't know it, it's going to be kind of hard to align your life and your leadership with it when the time comes for you to do that in a home. Okay? If you're single but hope to be married, how aware have you been? Why has your current awareness been where it is? Because it just, you know, I, I just didn't think to, yeah, I've read this, I don't know, maybe a hundred times, but... It just never really crossed my mind for me to really have to focus and drill down deep on this. Whatever the reason is for the current awareness level, does there, is there anything that needs to change? And then what's that practically going to look like? If, if you're a married guy and or you have some daughters, a daughter or daughters, how, how aware do you think the women in your home are? And then cross out that other word aware. You don't need it twice. It's just double awareness, but we only use single awareness. How aware do you think they are in the home of what this says? Does your wife, is she aware of what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says? Are your daughters aware? And what is your role in their current awareness? In other words, are they unaware of God's gospel implications because you have been unaware? Or are they aware because you've been aware and you're keeping it in front of them, Right? So there, there's a link between your awareness level and theirs. And you need to get to the bottom of that link. So let's talk about Titus 2, 3 to 5. The gospel is honored through transformed older women training transformed younger women. That's the, the nutshell of the idea in those 
three verses, three, four, and five. Okay? So we're going to take this down in, in three different sections. Number one, you'll see it there. What older women transformed by the gospel must be. Verse three. Older women likewise are to be. And that, that verb idea, to be, carries all the way through uh, verse, all of verse 3. And it even picks up in verse 4. So that they might encourage the young women actually to be husband lovers, children lovers, etc. So we're going to talk first about what older women transformed by the gospel must be. Then secondly, number two, we'll talk about what younger women... Um, I'm sorry, what transformed older women must train the transformed younger women to be. That's wordy, but I, I want to keep it that way because that's the point, is, is the older women are to be a certain way so that the younger women can be a certain way. Did you get that? That's what Paul is saying here. The older women need to be a certain kind of woman so that the younger women can be a certain kind of woman. And then thirdly, what happens when transformed women are all that they should be. So let's start with number one, verse three. He says, older women, the text here doesn't indicate to us exactly a specified age range. Uh, There's one commentator I read who said, uh, since, this was the logic, since childbearing ends about 40 or 45, correspondingly child rearing then ends like at 60 or 65, 20 years later. So it's reasonable to take that older women means that that upper category is 60 to 65. And um, it's just, it might be, it's just, you just can't tell. Um, That's a little arbitrary. But the point not to miss is this. In Paul's mind, women could basically be divided into how many categories? The older ones and the younger ones, right? The ones who have been at life a little longer than those who have. Now, what that looks like in your church, figure out who that is and begin to try to treat them as such. Some churches, the older women, will clearly look very different than the older women in another church. This church is a great example of that. The older women in this church, even a matter of a couple years ago, were those who were inching towards 30. That's right. They were inching towards... Those were the older women in the church. That's what God gave us. And praise God that it's, God's diversifying us even more now. But um, So the point is, divide the group, the ladies basically into two groups. And here's, here's the neat thing. Older women are a rich resource for the church. May there be a day when there is a lot of blue hairs among us. Even more. Um, that, that is a rich resource for the church. And what... Older women transformed by the gospel must be, number one, they must be reverent in behavior. Do you see that in verse 3? They likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. The word reverent, it's the only time that it's used here in the New Testament, and it actually has its roots in the priesthood. This word reverent does. It means a person set apart for priestly duties. Uh, that person who is set apart for priestly duties is a is a sacred person. It's a person who's set apart um, and so that is the idea that is to be carried over here to the older women, that, that she lives a sacred life, a set-apart life. She's to be a woman who regards all of her life as set-apart. The point is that she is not to be a priestess in the temple. Okay? This is the island of Crete. This is the church. She's Christian. The veil has been torn. Jesus has pronounced his judgment on it. It's probably about a, less than a decade away from being undone completely. 
But she is to be a woman who regards all of her life as set apart for God. Even though she might appear just to be a very common older woman, she is to have the kind of demeanor or behavior of one who has been set apart by God for a sacred duty. And her sacred duty is here in verses 3 to 5. What kind of woman is she supposed to be? Kurt? When you say set apart, I think it's sanctified. Yeah. And being sanctified is a process. Yeah. That's a, that's a good idea. Sanctif- sanctification can actually in, in the New Testament can be either process or event. Uh, it depends on the context. And, and Paul uses the word in both ways. We often think of it as a, we generally use it to think of a process. And what is going on here? That is a great question. It, it's not the same word for that. It just means set apart. I would say it's probably more of like a, of an ongoing process kind of thing for her that she needs to be continually thinking about being reverent in her behavior, um, set apart, attending to that. That's a great question. I'll have to give some thought to that. Yeah, Mark. It didn't mean continually. You think you get examples of how to do it? Yeah, probably not. It's tied to real time. Yeah. This, this, yeah, that's a good point. This, this opening, the only thing that makes me just a little hesitant, where I'm not, I don't want to be 100% on that, is it's possible that this first qualification is an umbrella kind of qualification, describing her, and then what does it mean to be reverent in behavior? Well, it means that she's not this and she's not this, but she's this. It's possible, and so most likely it's probably a, a lifestyle type of thing for her. Um, one of the ways that it, maybe we would think of it is what, what was a priest supposed to do in a temple? Uh, the priest was supposed to go into the temple and burn incense before the presence of God. So a priest had to be a set-apart man to be able to, because his whole life was going to come to this moment when he was going to be in the presence of God. And so maybe part of the idea built into this is that she needs to be a woman who practices the presence of God wherever she is. Her life is set apart, and she's concerned about the presence of God in her life. Paul does not mean here that she is a priestess, but that she lives her life as if she is continually in the presence of God, maybe like a priest would do in his service. Um, and like I said, most likely this could be an overarching quality for the older woman. It's, it's, a, it's a way of summarizing the whole of what she's supposed to be, and then the descriptions that follow help flesh out what a reverent behavior in an older woman looks like. So here's the idea, guys. Here's what the gospel produces in an older woman. Reverent behavior. The gospel produces in an older woman reverent behavior. Um, She is to be marked by an uncommon behavior. So questions for you. Do do you long, guys, those of you who want to be married, do you long for a wife to be this way? Are are you looking for a, a wife who's interested in living a life that looks different? Single guys, don't look for another kind of woman. You need to be only interested in the woman who's, I want to live a life that is set apart for God at all times. You're not looking for the perfect woman, you won't find her, but you're looking for one who is, by the grace of God, striving for such. And do you, guys, those of you who are married, do you, really, do you long for your wife to be reverent in behavior? I mean, is that really something that you're passionate for? You want your wife to be set apart in her behavior? 
I'm thinking that it would kind of be hard for her to be that, or to be that in, in all the ways that she could, if you and I aren't passionate about it. Does that make sense? Are you concerned to direct your wife in this direction? It might be a good thing this week to ask your wife, and by the way, all of these questions with the cues on them are on your blue sheet. That's all your blue sheet is. I'm sorry, it's like 23 questions, sets of questions. And I'll tell you about how many of those to do for next time. Um, But maybe it might be a good idea to ask your wife if she thinks that you are concerned for her holiness of life. Can you imagine this? Sitting down with your wife uh, over a cup of coffee, some tea at at dinner or, you know, on a date, and, and you say... Do you you get the feeling that I'm concerned for your holiness of life? (laughs) And and before you do that, just get out the gauze and the bandages and and you can take care of your bloody nose after that. We we need to be... Yeah. (laughs) Well, we'll confront you for that later, but that's okay. I was going to add what you said I think what I I think I came to that realization on the next one, because if you look at my question under the uh, after two and three, are you the kind of man that is concerned that slander or gossip not find a lodging place? In, oh, and oh, that's not even where I did it. At some point, I thought I grabbed that clue. I, I'm so glad you brought that out, Dave. If we're not concerned for these characteristics in ourselves, we're not going to be concerned for them in our wives. And so that's 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 you're right. That's a better place to begin. I wish I would have been smarter and thought about that. But um, thanks for bringing that out. Um, so talk to your wife about this um, and maybe there might be some things you can do to help your wife grow more intentionally that way we'll take two and three together because they, they both are negatives and it's possible that they were meant to be together in other words Paul was thinking at the same time not malicious gossips and not enslaved to much wine Okay, these are the only two for the older women that are negative and so it's very possible that they're just to be uh, thought of together Malicious gossip is just one word in the Greek. It's diabolus, diabolical, diablo. It's the, it's the word we use for the devil. She can't be the devil in her words. She must not engage in slander. Older women are not to repeat vicious gossip. They cannot become women who are backbiting. They are not to begin scandalous charges against others. They should not help advance and give life to scandalous charges against others. The older woman is to be one who can control her tongue from participating in that which pushes others down. Okay? And uh, not enslaved to much wine, number three. It's very possible, there's some debate in, in, among the commentators that uh, in Crete, it's very possible that the men and even the women, maybe even especially the women, were known for being heavy drinkers. On the island of Crete, and what's interesting is that you know this this is a part of the pastoral epistles with that you know Paul, Paul wrote to Timothy as well. In fact, go over to First Timothy chapter three, and we'll look at the um, qualifications for a deacon, actually for the wives of deacon, 
uh, deacons in verse 11. He addresses this with the women in leadership who, who are married to, to deacons. Verse 11 of 1 Timothy 3. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips. I think that's the same word there. Right here. But temperate. Faithful in all things. The word temperate there is a really... It's a much softer term compared to what he says over here in Titus 2, verse 3. Not enslaved to much wine. If you wanted to say it in a softer way, you would say it the way Paul did in 1 Timothy 3. If it was maybe an acute problem and you wanted to kind of give a sharp jab at it, you would say enslaved to much wine. I mean... So it's possible that what Paul's dealing with on the island of Crete with the women is is a little bit more acute than what he was dealing with in Ephesus with the women where Timothy was left to to work on. Well, it fits with uh, chapter one, where it says they are lazy gluttons. Yeah. And gluttons were just overconsumed with food and wine. Whatever they had, yeah. Maybe they're being impacted by that somehow. Um Obviously here, what Paul is not forbidding is he is not totally and completely forbidding wine or alcohol. Uh, but Paul obviously in multiple places strongly condemns what? Drunkenness. Uh, and not to be enslaved by anything. Um, and the point is self-control. The point is self-control with alcohol. Uh, self-control must remain intact. <laughs> Especially in the drinking of wine, beer, whatever. Okay, so what's the connection then between not a malicious gossip and not enslaved to much wine? Um, most likely when self-control is compromised by too much wine, the tongue is loose. Flow and you say things that you would have never said. And what a sad thing when our wives... Uh, might be in such a condition. So, a couple of sets of questions for not malicious gossips. Are you the kind of man that's concerned that slander or gossip not find a lodging place in the woman you would date or in your wife? Uh, and a better place to start, like Dave said, is you know we can't be malicious gossips. But are you are you are you concerned that that not find a, a place to lodge in, in your wife or in your woman you would date? Do you long for your wife to be in control of her words? Do you, do you like it when, she, when you see her use restraint in uh, avoiding gossip? Does that, does that bring joy to your heart? Or do you just like to hear it too from her? Because you know you can get the, the details from your wife because she's got them. Right? What about all of the ways that we can communicate with words these days? Do you know what the effects of her words are on others in her emails, in her Facebook postings, in her phone calls? Do you know the effect that your wife's, your wife's words have on others? Probably a good thing to know. Are you looking for a woman who's far from this charge? Are you concerned to direct your wife away from gossip? Are you concerned to protect her from such a sin? How? how? What's your plan? How are you going to protect her? And maybe sit down and ask your wife if she thinks that you're concerned about the way she uses her tongue, her words. 
Okay, so these are some things for you to think about. What about not enslaved to much wine? Are you the kind of man that is passionate? Here's where I grabbed the clue. Are you the kind of man that's passionate to not lose your own self-control in the use of alcohol? Guys, um, are you? Are you passionate to not lose self-control? Or are you passionate to dance around the fuzzy line with alcohol where you're um, a little loose? Do you long for your wife to always have self-control too? Especially in her use of alcohol. Guys, single men, I'll tell you what. Is this the, I want to ask you, is this the kind of woman that you find attractive? A woman who would not want to get near the, the edge of losing self-control? Is that a woman that is appealing to you? Has your oversight of the use of alcohol in your marriage, in your home, in your life, has it been helpful for your wife? So that she would have no trouble meeting this qualification as she gets older in Christ. I mean, are you what kind of a what kind of an arena are you setting in your home? Does, would a woman thrive under this? Could she become easily, no problem, a woman who's not enslaved to the use of wine or alcohol because of the, because of what you set? Or is she a woman who's tempted because of what you set? Or what you haven't set? Yeah. Are you concerned to direct your wife away from the numbing effect on self-control that too much alcohol can produce? Or are you protecting your wife from such a sin? How? How are you doing it? Ask your wife if she thinks you're concerned about her use of alcohol. And then what kinds of things might you need to do to help your wife flee from the lack of self-control that too much wine can produce? Okay. Number four. Teaching what is good. She must be this. A person who can teach what is good. This is actually just one word in the Greek, teaching what is good. Um, it has the word good or beneficial on the front end and on the back end it's the word teacher. It's just good teacher. She must be a good teacher, this older woman. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that the older woman is to be able to formally put together Bible lessons and instruct formally. That's not necessarily the idea. It certainly would include that. It implies at a minimum, though, the ability to informally teach by word and even by example the things that should be beneficial to a younger woman. And there's a reason why this is the last one, and then it flows into a so that she may encourage the younger women to be, because these are the things that the older woman is to be able to teach. And um, let, me, let me say this. Um, there is nothing wrong with women wanting to help other women understand important theological concepts. Nothing wrong with that at all. If, if an older woman wanted to sit with a younger woman and wanted to go through the doctrines of grace with her, that would be a wonderful thing to do. It would be a great thing for her to do. If that is the only thing that older women in the church did with younger women... Titus 2, 3 to 5 would be not obeyed by the church. Do you understand? Hear what I'm not saying and hear what I am saying. Okay? Not saying that there is not a place for women to teach other women theology. There is. But that theology better needs to be at least aligned with, and here's how the doctrines of grace are going to make you a better, let's take a look. It's going to make you sensible. It's going to help bring purity in your life. It's going to help. You see, your theology needs to be aligned. Your gospel theology needs to be aligned with the gospel behavior that it brings. And one of my concerns with some 
that, that can happen with women's ministries and churches. It can become just women teaching lots of good theology. And again, I love theology. Do we want women to have good theology? Yep. Let's let them have good theology. But what if they're not doing Titus 2, 3 to 5? That's a problem. Do you understand? Now, what questions do you want to ask to test that To if I said anything that was not helpful? Anything? Do you guys understand what, what I'm saying there? Tom, is there anything that you would want to clarify or Scott? All right. So are you the kind of man that wants to live a life that brings good or benefit to others? There, I finally did it. Do you long for your wife to live the same kind of life so that she, as she grows older, she can actually find, um, that younger women actually find her words of experience to be a benefit? Do you get that? I mean, that's, that's just an amazing thought to me. Do you want your wife to be able to grow under your leadership or your children, your daughters, to grow under your leadership to actually be of such that as they grow older, younger women would find them to be of benefit. Your wife is such a benefit. She has so much to teach me that is good. That's what you need to have a vision for. You need to align your leadership. I need to align my leadership in my home with this so that my wife can be everything that God designs her to be, intends for her to be in the gospel. Okay? Um, what about this? Uh, that second set of questions. Has your oversight of her life and ministry positioned her to be able to have an avenue of input into other women? Have you led in such a way that you, you actually have opened a door and said, you know what, I, I think it would be really important for you to be able to have a relationship with other women in the church. Or has your leadership been so of such a nature, maybe task-driven, busy, going, that you're white shooting man? She couldn't think about this even if she wanted to. You see, but this is what the gospel designs an older woman in the faith to be and intend, and you need to align your leadership in such a way that it's not working counter to what the gospel would produce in an older woman. Does this make sense? Okay. Yeah. When, when, especially when you like in your season of life, when you've got younger kids, um, your your wife, a wife like that, um, spends a lot of her day talking with um, five-year-olds and three-year-olds. And there needs to be a plan in your mind that she would have the ability to have a conversation with a a thirty-year-old, a twenty-five-year-old, who's a woman. You need to have a vision for that. And so that requires that we think carefully about what we allow into our life and what we keep out of our life. Um, because it's very hard, especially if you're in your season of life, to find the extra time and to have the energy um, that you need to devote to relationships. If one end of that line is, is a schedule that's packed with things, <clears throat> on the other end of that line is someone who desperately needs fellowship and involvement and influence by other people, 
those two things can't fight against one another, and the role of the dad and the husband and the family is to guard that and to prize that. I mean, that's what we dread. Yeah. And so this comes back again to how aware are you of what Titus 2, 3, and 5 says, and then align your leadership with it so that you're not working against it. Okay? So now as we begin to transition from verse 3 to verse 4, there's a purpose clause. We're not in number 2 yet, so just at the end here of, of teaching what is good. If the younger women of the church, this is very interesting, if the younger women of the church are to be the kind of women that God desires them to be in the gospel, what Paul is saying here is it requires the older women of the church to be a certain kind of woman. Okay, this is really an amazing, this is a great fleshing out of how the gospel makes lives connected. If the younger women are to be what God designs them to be, it's dependent on what? Older women being a certain kind of, of character. He connected those two things. He, he brought about a gospel dependency for the younger women on the older women. God did. Now, is it possible for younger women to be godly if all of the older women are ungodly? Of course. And you should strive for that if that is the case. Right? If that's what you're surrounded by. But God, the point is, is in the gospel, God has something much better in mind than that. He wants godly older women. So Titus, address them. Be this, older ladies in the gospel. You know why? Because the younger women are depending on you and what you are so that they can be what they must be. That's really an amazing thing. And so where do we fit in that as heads of households, as men? Well, we have to align our households with that, don't we? I mean, we're responsible for, for setting the tone. Um, we're the ones that we get to determine the condition of the soil that our, the women in our house will grow in. You need to give thought to the kind of soil that your wife has been planted in, that your daughters have been planted in. If your wife is a plant in the, in the soil of your leadership, what has she grown into? Hopefully what you want to be able to say is, well, let me see, she's grown into a woman who's reverent in her behavior, and she's not a malicious gossip, and she's not enslaved to much wine, she's able to teach what is good. That's what my wife has grown, that's what we want to be able to say. And so we need to be aware of it and what, what the gospel produces. Okay. So here, here's the primary point, guys. Well, let me tell you what it's not. The primary point here, if, if you go home and you think the assignment is to go home and tell your wife how she doesn't measure up to Titus 2, 3 to 5, I will... <laughs> Dude. I will distance myself as far as possible from you. I will run as fast as I can. <laughs> See, I got an elder cover in my back all the time. <laughs> now, the primary point here, guys, is, in all seriousness, the primary point here is, is that we need to become the kind of men who are not just merely aware of what this says, about, about what God wants your wife to be, but we need to become men who love what God wants your wife to be in the gospel. You need to love what God wants your wife to become in the gospel. 
And that's what Titus chapter 2 is all about. The gospel must be adorned. The gospel must be seen to be great. That means my wife, my goodness, she has to be a certain kind of woman, and I want her to be. God, help me to be everything that I must be to help her be everything she must be so that your gospel appears to be great. It's possible because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all kinds of men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, to live sensibly righteous in an ungodly age. It's possible. That's what needs to happen. All right, number two. What transformed older women must train the transformed younger women to be? Let me cover just a couple things and we'll take a a quick break, okay? Um, You see in verse 4, so that they may encourage, so that they may encourage or actually to train. At at one time, this this, um, verb had the idea of bringing someone to their senses, almost shaking them into their senses, I think it's lost probably it's that meaning by the time that Paul's using it here. It probably just means simply to advise so that you might advise the women, so that you might urge the women, so that you might wise them up as to their character and their responsibility as, as wives. And here's what's interesting in this whole list. I find this interesting, and I wouldn't want to make too much of this, but what's interesting is that Titus is to directly address all of the different groups except this one. Older women, or I'm sorry, older men, Titus, you tell these older men directly, verse 2. Older women, Titus, you tell them directly this. Uh, Young men, verse 6, and I'll include you in that, Titus. And over in verse 9, bond slaves, urge them. But this group, he is not directly addressing. Now that doesn't mean that Paul's mind and heart was, you can never talk to young women, Titus. That's not what he was saying. But what is he, what's the point that's trying to be drawn out here? Notice this too. He doesn't even say, older men teach the younger men. Now, should that be happening in the church? Of course. And we want that to happen too. But what is Paul trying to, at least under the inspiration of the Spirit, emphasize here? Where is there a unique connection in the church that can't be ignored? Older women and younger women. Older women have a unique connection with younger women in the church and um, capitalize on that. Create a platform for that, for your wife. As a church, that's what we're, we try to do is create a platform where the women of the church can come together and go, oh, there's older women, and I think I could really use an older woman in my life, a younger woman might say. I was doing a, um, a, a baptism interview this week, uh, and a young believer, she's getting baptized, and she said, you know what, I said, is there anything that we can help you get plugged into in the body? And, and she's in Wellspring on Saturdays. She said, you know what, I would really love to be like discipled or mentored by an older woman. It's like, we got that, we can do that. Um, you want that to be something that you would have, just a, a reflexive, easy, oh, we, here's how we do that. You don't want to have that request come and go, oh, let me think. Yeah, I think I can make that happen. I'll have to work on that. I'll get back to you. You want that to be something that is right there in front. Yeah. This girl you were is her mother a believer? No. And when I say young, uh, I mean she's married and has children. So you should be one of the older women in the church. Come to her and ask her to mentor 
and mm. you know a struggle my wife and I had is we sh you know she was like well she should be pushing her to be going for her mother for mentoring. Yeah, well that, that's that's good. You never want to miss that connection that there's a younger woman and there is a mom who loves <laughs> the Lord. Uh, why, boy, we would want to capitalize on that first and foremost. That's a good word. That's good. Absolutely. So older women have a very direct training role with the younger women according to the gospel. This is what the gospel does in a believing community. It makes older women have a direct training role with younger women. Um, and they, they, they're able to, I mean, listen, guys, could I stand up to some younger women and say, you know, love your husbands and love your children and here's, here's how I think you should be a worker at home. I could do that. And elders probably should do that. But I can't even begin to do that in a way that an older woman can. There's something very unique about the way that they are related and with the roles that God has for them in the gospel. So it's a unique relationship between the older women and the younger and the body of Christ. And there's to be an exhortation to the older women to be a certain thing so that they can then go and train the younger women to be what they must be. The word young here for young women is uh, just means to be in the early stages of life. Um, oh, it's interesting. I just thought of uh, the person in our commentary who got very specific about the older women didn't get specific about the younger women in the age. That's interesting. It's just kind of... Anyway. Uh, it can also mean new or fresh, the word young. So the idea might be just freshly married, freshly become a parent. And then we have how many descriptions here? Five, six, seven. And we'll take a, a shot at those after you have a little break, okay? Quick break. Did you have something? Just really quick. You know, we, we, I think we try to categorize too much like what a young woman is and what an older woman is. When, and I could be way off base here, but it seems to me like a young woman is your daughter when she's first born all the way until she's not a young woman. I mean, there's a role to to have her, to, you know, mom teaches her, mom instructs her. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure this is exactly what Titus or Paul is saying in Titus, but there's a benefit of having always in your life somebody who's a little beyond where you are pouring into you and you pouring into somebody who's a little behind in, in, in Christ where you are. They're, that's a good thing. Um, to, have a, to have a young, working, um, godly young woman meeting with, a, with a, a high school girl in conjunction with what her parents want for her, that can be a really sweet and good thing. Um, is that an older woman teaching a younger woman? Yeah, in my mind, is that exactly what Paul had in mind? I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily try to force it all in there. But um, definitely those who have been married longer are, are further down the road with parenting. And thank God for those of you who have come to us in the recent uh, past uh, who have older kids and even kids who are leaving the home. Um, you have a, a really important role to play. Your wives have a really important role to play in the lives of these younger women. So that's a good thing. All right, take a five-minute break, and we'll come back together, okay? As we, um, before we jump back in, I, I was just talking with Kurt a little bit, and um, it's really on his heart, and, and I think it's a good thing that's on his heart. It would be good to, to share, and I'll, so I'll say a little bit, and then I'll let him add. Um, but how many of you have daughters still at home? 
Don't let him in. Um, what, what, what is that? That's right. Let us in. Okay. So anyway, um, the, here's. I thought about this as I was prepping for this. I have I have two daughters, age 11, 12, and um, I thought, you know, my my daughters need to be not just aware of this, of what Titus two, three to five says, but but they need to, by God's grace and you know through saving faith, Lord willing, really embrace this and long for it, so that when perhaps outside of the home, they at school or among friends, or you know if if Kim and I would think it would be a good thing for them to go to college or whatever. They've been fortified by this for a long time. So that when they hear, well, you're a woman, and that means you can A, B, C, and D, and, and um, here's why I tell you about men, this, that, and the other, and this, and, and whatever. Um, wow, you know, they need to be fortified against that. If we don't do that, if... Christian young women grow up in a household and in a church and they're not exposed to Titus 2, 3 to 5 and then they do step out and maybe move out and, and go away to college and college says, here's what women, here's what uh, femininity is. What's going to happen? So, I mean, it's our, the burden is on us guys to, to not only just be aware of this, but to love it and to impart it to our households and, and whatnot like that. Kurt, what would you, what would you add? Anything? Yeah, just that, even, even with our boys, I mean, you know, as I've seen my kids grow, right, and do this, I didn't teach Titus 2, 3, 3, 5, out trying to find out who the thumpers are. So um, let's take the, the first two qualif- uh, character qualities together in verse 4 because they are, are similar. To love their husbands and to love their children. Uh, it's one word for uh, to love their husbands. It's the word love on the front of the word man. To be a man lover. And, and particularly it means obviously in a context where you're talking about the young women. To love the man who is her husband. So she is to love her husband. Um, obviously, uh, love is more than an emotional affection for her husband, but it's actually self-giving action. That's what love is, is sacrificing yourself for the good of another to bring about what is good and ben- uh, beneficial for another. So it's important for older women to understand that younger women cannot play leapfrog over loving their husbands. Um, 
That's not something that's uh, necessarily a challenge when you're newly married. Um, the older you get, um, you need to pay attention to it. Now, here, here's the crazy maker. Are you ready for this? This is so counterintuitive to our day. Look at verse, look at verse 4. And, and take the word, I, does the ESV have train? Yeah. Take, if you got the NAS, put the word train in, because that's, that's a good translation. And just think of these words. Let me say this. Train to love. That is so counterintuitive, it's contradictory to our day. You don't train to love any, you just, you, you fall in love. The older women need to teach the younger women to fall in love. That's something that happens to you. You don't really have any control. I mean, you just, love is just, I mean, we've set it up as if that's a virtuous thing for love. That it just happens to you, it overtakes you, you didn't see it coming, it blindsided you, and then you were just hopelessly, dizzily in love. What is what is Paul? What does God's word say? Train them, encourage them to love, to love their husbands. Um, it, it's put before us not as something that's uncontrollable, but actually that's something it is controllable. You can, young women, you can love your husband. You can be this. In fact, I'm going to train you to do it. That's just shocking. I mean, I just I don't know about you. That's just shocking to me. A young woman is to be trained to give of herself to her husband. You see, the more you make love an emotion, and an affectional emotion only, you can't train somebody to do that. But the more you see it as a self-giving act of yourself, of the will to bring about what is good in another, I, I could probably train somebody to do that. I would want somebody to train me out of it. Isn't that sort of like feeling like you don't want to read your that's good. Absolutely. Now, the idea here is not necessarily to train them to love. It's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that this young woman did not love her husband before she was married. And now she needs to be trained to love her husband. But even so, what if it did mean that? What if it was, in the first century, an arranged marriage... What would an older woman have to do? Train the woman to love. God, I, I would love to see you take training and define training because it takes you back to Proverbs, train up God to make you really involved in my heart. And that's when I'm going to train and they can say it when I'm going through it. We won't do that right there. But training is a very important word. Training doesn't That's good. Or let's take a football team. You know, how do you kind of train these guys to react to what comes to them to be able to respond correctly? And training is a really strong word. I mean, it's not something that you just say, yeah, well, we need to kind of do this. Well, that's not the way it is. Yeah, that's good. That's a, I don't know if I can improve on that. that that's good. I, this word here means to advise. It means to urge. Um, and it would be wrong. It would be the wrong idea to... Um, to think that it's just a simple sitting back once in a while, I'll give you some advice when you need it. You know, it's not. It's not like that. 
it's something much more than that. Um, and that's good. Thanks, Tom. That's helpful. Um, so the exhortation here would work even if there wasn't love like we know it between a, a man and a woman before they were married that they would have for each other. The idea here is clearly that um, love for her husband, it actually can be grown, it can be cultivated, it can be brought under her will. She can, it's under her will to, to, to affect and change that love and develop it. And love is to be first and foremost in the marriage, in the young wife's mind, in her mind, in the church. Children lovers, number two, it's the same thing. It's one word in the Greek. It has the word love on the front, but this time it doesn't have man in the back. It has children in the back. Uh, children lovers, they love children. And all that we could have said, that we just said about being self-giving for her husband, it could be said here. And so again, she must be trained to love her children. Now look, you don't have to train a mother. When a mother has a baby, I mean, there's love there. I mean, you can't, it's undeniable. But evidently, there needs to be some training in terms of how to give of yourself in ways um, that you're not being selfish, and, uh, but, but rather being selfless in regards to the way you care for your child. And she needs to be trained in that. It can be cultivated, it can be grown, it can be brought under her will. And love is to be first and foremost on a young woman's mind a young wife's mind, it, it, it should be love for her husband, that's on my mind, love for my children. Now look what God's saying to the younger women. No, leapfrog over that. If you are a young woman and married and or have kids, and you young woman um, are just looking for every opportunity to get away from those people, to go do something else, there's, no, there's nothing that, that reflects the gospel in it. Nothing. The gospel shapes young women to be a certain kind of woman. And it is that she would love her husband and love her children and actually want to be trained how to do that. That's what the gospel shapes young women to be in. So let's ask a, a couple of questions here. Um, has your wife heard you express gratefulness to God for her love, uh, for her and for her love? In other words, I mean, have you... Have you said in front of your wife how grateful you are to God about her and for her love. Does she hear you say those kinds of things? Um, have you identified the acts of love your wife demonstrates towards you? Have you actually said, you know, honey, when you do X, Y, and Z for me, I know that those are expressions of love for me. I, I see it. and I'm, I watch for those things and, and um, thank you for doing that and for being that kind of a person toward me. Um, does she know how that you feel loved by her through uh, those acts of love? Ask, ask your wife if she feels like you expect her acts of love. Ask her, do you feel more like I expect your love or that I appreciate your love? You understand? Has your wife heard you express gratefulness to God for her love for your children if you've got them? Man, I, I came home um, last night at 8 o'clock and um, I was so excited to tell her some news that I had. And um, she, we, we just had this crazy weekend. And um, she was, I was so eager to tell her this news that I, that I heard to yesterday. And I, so I came in the house and that was all I was thinking. I was just going to tell her this, this news that I heard. And it wasn't news. I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really good news. <laughs> um, and so, 
she starts telling me about um, how she what just what it was like what she had to do with the kids yesterday and and um, and I was and I had just gone through this and I was like oh wow and I, and I had the wherewithal because it was on my mind I brought it before my mind I was able to say you love our kids a lot and you proved it today by how you mothered them thank you if this hadn't been in front of me you know what I would have done yeah yeah thanks um wait till you hear what I heard today <laughs> we need the word of God in front of us too um, so that we think rightly and act rightly does your wife need any kind of encouragement to keep sacrificing and love for the kids ask your wife if she feels weary in her acts of love for the kids and then what can you do to help her how can you shelter her protect her number three young women the older women are to train the younger women to be sensible that just means being in control of oneself being prudent it means being thoughtful young women need to be trained in using good judgment using good judgment that's that's kind of what's bound up there where would a young woman need to use good judgment well let me get, can I give you some ideas in the use of her time a young woman needs good judgment in the use of her time a young woman needs um, good judgment to use good judgment in how much time she would spend outside the home a young mom needs to use good judgment in knowing how much to have the kids involved in stuff outside of the home I can remember at times um, Kim just I mean she loves to do when the kids were younger um, and uh, like weren't in school yet um, she just loved to have them Go do. She loved to go do things with them. Just go to the park, go whatever. And there were some times where we would uh, all of a sudden life would just be like for the last couple of days, it'd just be insane, busy. And it would be like, well, how did this happen? And it, and it was, uh, you know, out of a, a, a heart of love for for them. She's the one who did it. She, she made life end up being kind of crazy because there was, oh, then we, we were able to go do this. We were able to go to the railroad park. And, and it was like this, you know. And so you sometimes you have to just be able to go, well, let's just, can we think about the quality of life and how that impacted the quality of life in the home? And, and, you, and so you just have to help young women think. I'll tell you what, guys, when, you, when, you're, when you're a single guy, dude, when, are you, when do you plan to be home? You got a plan to be home, Omri? <laughs> we'll talk later. <laughs> yeah, when I when you put your head on the pillow and pass out late at night. Um, I mean, there's time. You have to be sensible about even good things that you want to do because everything there's a cost. There's a cause and effect. There's a cost involved in everything. You can do all of the good things in the world as a as a young mom, as a young wife, and boy, there's but there's a price to pay. And so you need to, she needs to be sensible. She needs to be trained to be sensible. How about um, in use of money, having good judgment in use of money? What about uh, in uh, being sensible with the TV and the Internet? What about being sensible with social networking? I mean, there's, there's lots of things to be thinking about. Are you looking for a wife, guys, who has good judgment in the different uh, different arenas of her life? Is that something you're looking for? 
See, Titus 2, 3 to 5, if you're a single guy, it needs to be in front of you all the time. You also need to have what it says about young men and older men in front of you because that's what you must be and will become. You put that first and foremost. You put stuff like Ephesians 5, you know, 25, 24 and following there. You've you got to have what it means to be a, a godly husband in front of you. But um, work on the kind of man you must be. But you also have to have this grid in front of you of, I need to be looking for the right kind of woman. A sensible one. Do you long for your wife to be sensible, guys? Do you, do you really want her to be sensible? Maybe it'd be a good way for you to study your wife a little bit and, and, and look for the areas in which that um, you, you see where she has used good judgment in your family, in your marriage, and with the kids. And then offer her some encouragement or figure out how you can better equip her for that. How about um, verse 5? The older women are to train the younger women to be pure. This is the word holy. It's a different word than the word reverent, but it basically means the same idea. So what does that tell you? Older women should be reverent or should be holy, and young women are to be what? Holy. There is, you should not find a woman in the church who is not holy. Okay? Are you looking for... Say what? There should not be a woman in the church who is not holy. You should only be able to find holy women in the church. The younger women are, are to be trained to be pure, which means to be holy. And the qualification and character quality for the older woman is to be reverent in behavior, and, and that was to be set apart. They're, they're different words, but it's the same idea of, of holiness of life set apart. So the point is, women are always exhorted to be holy. Uh, I was just trying to make that point. So are you looking for a wife, guys, who is pure in thought and pure in deed? Rick. Uh, in a group of us studying this kind of stuff, and, and, uh, we realize, I guess I can start off the question with saying, how many of us men before we got married with these kind of men? And then how many of us married with these kind of men? And how, much of, uh, how many of us have come to the realization that uh, we aren't these kind of men, our wives aren't these kind of men? And then as we come to this realization, That's really good. Yeah. Really just to take it seriously. More. You know, like I've been sitting here for like 10 minutes. I'm myself, but I couldn't explain why I was so concerned about just single guys. But it seems like a little bit. What do you tell 
qualifications that you want to see in your life, but you, know, you don't get you don't get to experience that. You don't know. So what does the guy do? He picks the prettiest one, and you hope. And so you know, here's the old example. What does scripture say about America? Well, it has some things to filter your spouse through, but beyond that, pick the prettiest one. But what do you say to a single guy who doesn't have that? And, and I guess the thing, the thing that kept coming through my head is, is if, you're, if you're looking at a, a woman who might be your wife someday, you won't know any of this stuff. You might get lucky, like I did, but you won't know any of this stuff. So you, what you could see is, is she willing to submit to one of these old women? Is she in a relationship now with one of these old women? Because if you figure she's hot and I'll fix her, <laughs> That's right, because she's thinking she's thinking the same thing about him. Right. And, and and show her that you're in a relationship with in a relationship with a guy because if if you think, well, we're in love now and and I just learned all this cool guys do stuff and I'm going to encourage her to get in a relationship with one more. Wait. Wait, does that make any sense? Uh, that's good. Tommy, you, you sat with a bunch of the single guys in the church before. What what do you, what do you talk to them about? In this? You know, Scott, I, I really think, you go back to page one of your note, and uh, it's the I must align my leadership to God's gospel. In 2006, I had the privilege of going to the Iowa crew. Hmm. And it is a miserably dark and, and as you've been going through this, I, I was just kind of thinking, of, I know there was a church there. I know that they were encouraged to teach sound doctrine. And here we are, 1900 years later, 2000 years later, and it is spiritually a dark, dark place. Then I, how do we get to be spiritually dark? One day at a time. And it, for us, as guys, whether you're single and looking for a wife or kids at home, it, I, I thought about this sometime. It's not a one time to like to take your car and get an alignment. You, know, you have to get an alignment again. And we need to continually align because we will have a long thought. But I know for sure, especially for the older guys, because we're all older guys. We're not, we're all somewhat mature here. Um, to, to not repent and to put, or even just to put off till tomorrow. Tomorrow's a better day to start. The next, you know what, tomorrow. You know, we do need to repent because the church in Korea didn't align itself to send it out. And it isn't a one day at a time. Gosh, I know for myself, so I felt it made a difference. We like to think we do it once and it's taken care of for life. And, and this goes back to preaching the gospel to yourself, because if you're not preaching the gospel to yourself, you're not going to preach it to other people around you. You're not going to preach it to the people in your house. And uh, if you find yourself, you know, where you've lived a life of not aligning, when you confess the sin and even confess the sin to your spouse, maybe it's just a relationship with a, and you're not married, you might be confessing the sin.
tell you what I did one time with a, a friend of mine, a single guy who uh, was pursuing a, a relationship. And um, the relationship was, um, it, it didn't go where he, he didn't want to continue. continue and so I asked him why. And I started to ask him why in regards to um, things that I saw in Scripture. Does she, is she not a godly woman? Oh no, she's she's a, she's a godly woman. Um, is she? Is there something? You know, I'm trying to work through these kinds of things. Is she, is she not very sensible? Is uh, does she not want to be at home working someday and loving kids? And no, well, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's it. And, and I just so went through all of these things that Scripture did say, and I said, so, so what is it? And he said, I. I don't because I don't know what it is. We just we just don't we just don't click. And I just said, can you now? I just walk through scripture. Now you walk me through scripture. Where where does it say that? And 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 it was a very interesting conversation for both of us. And I wasn't planning on having the conversation. We just kind of I just kept pushing. And I found myself changing in the way that I was thinking about relationships. That all of a sudden, now this nebulous thing of we don't click. That's a deal breaker? Wait a minute, I just want to get this straight. She, she's a submissive woman to authority. She loves the gospel. She's this, she's that, she's this, she's that, she's this, she's that. But you don't click. And so I pressed him on it. I said, you, so you, let's just be honest here. You have nothing biblically in your corner. I do. Now what are you gonna, what do you do with that? And... You know, the, the only thing that could happen was God, God wouldn't want me to be with a, a girl who's just not that clit. I mean, that, that, that thing, you know, where you like really just you, you get along. And that was a revolutionary point for me. I, I, I didn't think that way when I was, you know, looking for relationships and, and was, started going out with Kim. And, and th- I didn't think that way. Was I looking for those things? Yeah, I was. I wanted the biblical things to be there. But boy, we put in our culture way too much emphasis on looks and click. It's not even a biblical thing. Okay, so if if that shakes you up and rattles you a little bit, good. Go home shaken up and rattled because there's nothing biblically about it. There just isn't. And yet every single one of us made that to be a pretty big deal. It still matters to us, but it's just not in the Bible. So what are you going to do that? I don't know. Make an arranged marriage for your son. I don't know. <laughs> Let's finish up here. Number five. Workers at home. This is one word in the Greek as well. House is on the front. Oh my goodness, what happened to time? House is on the front and the word work is on the back. So it's house worker, worker of the house. It's the carrying out of household responsibilities. It's to be busy with the work that a household of people requires. This is not household maintenance. She's fixing the plumbing. She's mowing the yard. She's cleaning the pool. It has to do with relationships in the household. You guys are telling me, hey, hey, whoa, 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 settle back. (laughs) Pull this back. Uh, <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. If she wants to do that or has been told to do that, <laughs> yeah. 
The, the idea here is that the home is the center of gravity for the woman who is in Christ. Okay, now listen. I'm going to say this. This, is going to be a, this will be an interesting conversation here. Um, this is what the gospel makes a woman into. When the power of the gospel enters into a woman and transforms her into the image of Christ and makes her into a new creature in Christ, this is what it makes her into. This is what it shapes her to be. Okay? Now, this is probably the characteristic that gets the most attention and actually has the most controversy surrounding it. Right? It is the one that is most easily negotiated away by couples. Okay? Now, I want you, I want, will you think with me a little bit on this? Look at the other characteristics in the list. Okay, just go back to the list. Um, love their husbands, love their children, sensible, pure, skip workers at home for just a minute, kind, and being subject to her own husband. Which ones of those do you feel comfortable negotiating away in a young woman's life? Could you imagine um, sitting down with um, a young woman who's going to be your wife or is your wife and say, you know, loving me or loving the kids, uh, I'm okay if you do that three, four days a week. You, you can kind of do that job. And being sensible and, and being of sound judgment, I, I'm, I'm okay if that happens on the weekends. And, and especially with purity. That's okay too. I, we can kind of we, we can we can kind of have a, a part-time purity here in your life. That that would be, and especially being kind. Um, if you if you want to be kind um, in the evenings, I, I'm okay with that. And especially your submission to me as a husband, I'm, that's that's cool. If you want to do that, you know, before noon each day, I'm okay with that. Guys, why does the worker at home seem to be uh, different in the minds of men and women. What in the list gives you any indication that it is different? If you had the ability to strip yourself of everything around you that influences you to think the way you think about men and women and, and marriage and, and husbands and wives and moms and daughters and children and stuff like that, if you had the ability to strip all that away, jump into a passage and put the blinders up and the wall around you and just let this speak to you, there would be nothing in this text that would lead you to think that this character qualification is any different than the one right in front of it or the one right after it. Purity in front of it, kindness in front of it. Neither one of those things are negotiable in a young woman. But working at home? Yeah, we'll talk about that. It's not any different in Scripture's mind compared to the other items in the list. Let, let me, can I tackle it from another angle? If something was tugging your wife away from loving you, what would you do? If something was tugging your wife away from loving your kids, what would you do? If something was tugging your wife away from being sensible, if something was tugging your wife away from being pure, from being kind, from being subject to you, what would you do? How would you act? If something is tugging your wife away from being a worker at home, what would you do? 
Now you have a different way of category of thinking. Guys, I want, I don't, I want myself, I want you, I want, I think it's important for you to feel the arbitrariness of selecting this one characteristic and setting a different standard for it than all of the others. It is completely arbitrary. Completely. There's nothing in this list that would make you say, oh, well, this one's okay to negotiate on. But the other ones, oh no, we can't negotiate on those. There is nothing of that. The gospel, when it comes into a woman's life, it forms this kind of a woman. And I need to align my own thoughts and heart and mind and leadership with it. I do. Now, that being said, this characteristic does not necessarily mean that a wife or a mother will never be involved in something that is outside the home. That's, that's not what it's also saying. What this characteristic says, though positively, is that she simply will be a worker at home. Every woman is a little different than the one before. You should not make a blanket characteristic about all women and what it means to be a worker at home and what it means to have any kind of a something outside of the home. Every woman is a little different. Some women do not do well having very much, if any, work or something outside of the home that pulls them away from the home. Some don't do very well with that at all. And that husband of that wife needs to know that. He needs to know that. And other women seem to do maybe a little better. And of course, season of life makes things a little different too, whether there are children or not in the home. But what is the point? The point is, is whether your wife and or the mother of your kids, whether she works outside of the home or not, the characteristic of her must still be central to her life. She is a worker at home. And this is where you have to be aligned with this, guys. This is where you must be very careful as her husband and as her head. Because if you are asking her to work outside of the home, to be involved in all kinds of things outside of the home, you need to recognize that you are potentially making it very difficult for, difficult for her to have home be the center of gravity for her work. You would never think, I want to ask my wife to do something that's going to put an obstacle in front of her to purity. Would you? You would never think, I'm going to ask my wife to be involved in something that's going to make it difficult for her to be kind. Would you? But you will, I will, we might at times ask our wives to do something that will make it difficult for her to be a worker at home. Do you understand? I want us to, I want us to feel that because I think that's what this text is saying. I think that's what the God's word says. Your wife still needs to get all of her work done at home. And I'm not, again, we're not talking about you've got your honey-do list for her talking about the fact that, that she's, she's looking out for relationships and to make sure that people have good relationships at home and can be what they must be with one another. There's a lot of work to do to make that happen. She still needs to get all of that done if you put something else in front of her outside of the home. So what should a man do? Guys, you need to think very carefully about this Characteristic of that God would have your wife to have, uh, to be, so that if you think before God, it is absolutely necessary for you to have her be involved in something outside of the home for a season or for 
an indefinite season, period of time, listen, you better make sure you've thought through all of these things at least first before you make that decision so that you know what the cost will be, so that you have a way to come alongside her and help her compensate for any weaknesses that you might put in her path because you're going to distract her from what her center of gravity is. Do you hear me saying that there might be... I'm not saying that there will never come a time or never a moment, never a season in which a woman will step outside and work. That might happen. But by golly, guys, you better think carefully about what it's going to cost if you're going to do that. And you need to be aligned with this first. Here's, here's part of my... And, and I'll be honest with you. This whole reason right here is why I wanted to do Titus 2, 3 to 5 with you. Because I have watched the, the men in our church... And the young families in our church over the last couple of years as the economy has done this nosedive, the gut reflex as they all of a sudden watch income go away, uh, decrease, um, that they, they were living at this standard of living when everything was really groovy and great and man, that was fun to live at that standard of living and we could and all of a sudden now life is down here income wise. The gut reflex for the guy almost nine times out of ten can you guess what it was? Yeah. Honey, I think you need to get a job. And then his wife would cry. And he wouldn't understand. And, 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 and do not ask this question this way. <laughs> Putting in some overtime. <laughs> do not ask your wife this question this way what do you do all day anyway <laughs> don't, don't do that okay I mean you, you may very well at the end of it, all of it a man may and a wife may with tears in their eyes say the thing that is best for this family for the next three months, is that you, uh, that you, you, honey, need to do this. That may be the very thing that they decide to do. But by golly, guys, man, you better be thinking through this one thing like it's her purity, like it's her gospel kindness, like it's her gospel love for you. This is her gospel work at home. Don't negotiate away it away like that. Make it reevaluate. What can you cut out? What maybe you're the one he's getting our job too. Do do what don't just think that this is the easy thing, the first thing to do. I mean, after all, I mean, what is she doing all day? I don't know what she you just like you just like sit around and I don't know what what do you do? No, you don't understand. I mean, guys, we need to understand what, what honey here's how you do. You come to it and say with a piece of paper and you say, Honey, I would love to know. Please tell me everything you do all day long. I want to understand. And write those things down. This is not a negotiable characteristic. And by the way, just because a wife is home all day long doesn't mean she's a worker at home. We have also counseled young couples in the past that, um, you know what, you might actually want to think about your wife getting a job. You guys don't have kids right now. She needs some discipline in her life. And if you're gone all day... And she's on the internet all day. It might not be a bad thing for her to work a little bit, to do some things and be trained how to 
make sure she's taking care of the things in the home too. Um, just because a woman's home doesn't mean that she's doing everything that she's supposed to. So it's not that she's home. She's a worker at home. Okay? Needs to be a good steward there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard people take this passage and that it applies to women being workers in a home. State that one like you know it looks differently uh, for different families and stuff like that. And I think with that statement alone, like we agree, but I've heard that put forward like some women can work a few days a week or do work a few days a week and they're still uh, being obedient to this text or doing things that time-wise at least take them away from the home um, and you know while still being obedient to the text like what do you, what do you think about that if if um if what's be if if when we say that we are basically um, making it if the bottom line is yeah we're giving lip service to that passage but we're not really going to do it well then that's a, that's obviously a problem if if by saying well that looks a little different in everybody's you know marriage and family if if we end up giving the effect to people that therefore it doesn't really matter if you pay attention to it or not because you you can do any number of different things i i, I just can't imagine uh, anybody would say well you know your wife's purity is going to look a little different than you know my wife's purity and and, 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 you know, so how she, you know, the, the degree of her kindness is going to be a little different than, you know, other families. And we would never think of it that way. We would just never do it that way. Um, and so I think we need to, again, the point is to not make you, you make this blanket, iron, inflexible statement that this absolutely positively in every situation always means this. There might be some things in it that you'd have to think through, but by golly, it should be really, really, really hard. It should be really hard. Why wouldn't you want to look for every other possible way to not compromise that, to go do something else first, to find another pathway that would work? I think you use a really good word, compromise. When you make a decision that, that will compromise your wife's ability to be a worker at home, you need to make that decision very, very carefully. You need to make sure that you consider the prize your wife's ability to be a worker at home above the other things that come from working outside. That doesn't mean that everybody's framework in which they can be a worker at home is the same because our lives are all different. But it means that we need to prize and prioritize being a worker. Dave. Scott, I kind of want to touch on this from experience. Um, there's a couple of things that I really want to point out that I think we might overlook very easily. Um, first of all, I've been on a graveyard shift for 22 years. And, uh, you know, just in that area, I did everything I could creatively, um, give to the pension, don't give to the pension, just all these little things where you can have more money. I've worked a second job for seven years. Um, for the first six years of our marriage, I was an unbeliever. And, but God graciously, for whatever reason, 
Tammy and I set it up for where she was going to be at home. Number one thing, two things really I want you to think about. Let's go to the life first. Think about how sexual immorality is. Our women are in the home doing what God designed them to do. Way less opportunities for women to be unfaithful because maybe they live with a husband who's not doing what he's doing. And let's face it, there is a lot of sexual sin in Christian. I mean, let's not be naive that Christians don't sexually sin. That's huge. You send your wife out to a marketplace, and all of a sudden you got that guy, oh, she's, you, I love what you're wearing. Or, or no, oh, by the way, that you look good, and that dress isn't too bad either. <laughs> you know, but you don't want to, <laughs> you just leave it at that. You don't want to stick your wife out there where she really doesn't need to work. And you think through most of the time you're not bringing that much money home. The other thing for me is kids. I'm going through this with a guy at work right now who's, He's Taiwanese, and his wife's going back and forth across the country, taking his daughter for six months at a time. You can't get those years back. If your wife is out working, or even me, you know, the shift that I work, you can never get those years back when the kids are little. And as they're growing, and I would just, I mean, I can't <coughs> really emphasize enough for the young guys that don't have kids or have little kids or aren't married. Listen to what we're telling. I mean, we make mistake after mistake after mistake of raising our children, of not thinking it's important to be there. Um, life can go do whatever. You can't. You're asking for trouble. I think if you, if you truly love your wife, you'll do everything you can to let her be at home. And I'm going through this with my son right now. What if the girl you're dating doesn't want to do that? I said, are you prepared to get rid of her? <laughs> Seriously, because you're asking for trouble. You are going to battle for years if you don't start this right now. And you got to want to, you really do got to listen to, you know, do we want to love our kids? Do we want to raise them the way God wants us to? Because if you don't, and you'll be what you guys are talking about, you'll be regretting it and regretting it. And the money issue, are we going to trust God? He, he's going to provide. And we overlook that. We just check out and just go, man, I got work, I got this, I got that, and we're not content. And I imagine, are you guys going through in the church right now? Are you losing jobs or losing houses or whatever? Can I stay focused biblically and know that God's got my best interest? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's okay, good. So. A couple others? Frank? Yeah, I've got just a lot on the line uh, regarding this. I don't even know where it's going to just practically and spiritually. I grew up in a home where my mom did not work. And I remember, I think my whole life, based on lack of what uh, the Jones had, saying, Mom, why don't you go to work? Why don't you go to work? And it's interesting, you know, she just says, oh, you don't understand. Now, she wasn't a non-believer. She was a non-believer. But that's what it was. But, but become a Christian, before I got married, um, I, I read this passage and I understood that and and I found a woman who had two biblical Christian parents who were similar to my parents and that the wife my mother wanted to work. And so my, my wife says, Well this is the example of what happened. So we kinda established that that's what we would do um, before before we got married, she worked the first year, and we tried to practically say, okay, honey, uh, we're going to live 
emergency that she planted the vineyard. Did she do that at home? Something about her merchandise and, and something. And that Proverbs 31 woman somewhat kind of wrestled with me as I'm going to this one yep. here. That's great. I, I opened my Bible to Proverbs 31, verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength um, and makes her arms strong. You're looking for a woman with some, you know. Um, she senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She's thinking of people beyond even her, her home. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for her, all her household are, co- are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Full stop for a minute. That is not contradictory to being a worker at home. It's not. Next verse. Um, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Look, that is a woman who knew that she was able to do what her household needed. And anything that she did outside of the house was so that what? The household relationships benefited and they knew it and they saw it and they said, you are better than any other woman in this whole country. So it is not an exclusive, thou shalt not step outside of the house. You know what? Your wife might need to step outside of the house in order to benefit the house. And the household relationships will feel it. But I'm not so sure that's what we're thinking. Do you understand? So this is important for us to, to think about. Can I run us through the... I, wanna, I, I don't want to really do this um, next time, if at all possible. She must be kind. Now, why did he put kind after being a worker at home? Some think that he did this on purpose. Uh, the overwhelming work sometimes that the home requires can tempt a woman to become overly task-oriented. I just have all of these tasks to do. And, and she can then miss the souls that are actually in front of her in the task, or maybe the souls that are delaying her in her tasks, the souls that are actually creating more tasks for her to do. And there is a need for her in all of that to make sure that she is a kind woman. Um, are you looking for a kind woman to be your wife and the mother of your children? Do you long for your wife to be that kind of woman? Does your wife feel... Um, does she need your help because she feels overwhelmed by the home? And, and kindness is something that's hard for her to... She's being challenged and just being kind. You might need to come alongside your wife and help her out. Number seven, she needs to be trained to be subject to their own husbands. It's the same idea back in um, Ephesians 5. Somebody's in authority and somebody's not. Somebody's in leadership, somebody's not. The wife is the one who is in the position where she follows and uh, aligns herself up under the husband the gospel makes a woman into that kind of a woman. And the gospel makes a man into that kind of a leader who will sacrifice himself like in Ephesians 5 um, as he leads a wife. Are you looking for a woman? I'll tell you what, guys. Somebody said it earlier. If you're single and you're looking for a woman, you need to get to the bottom of this thing real quick. 
Because if you have a, 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 a feminized girl that you're interested in, who's been trained by the world to think about the way that a woman is, you're going to have some serious clashes. Not out in the parking lot, not out across the street, but in your home. You need to think about these things and uh, see if there's a, 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 a desire to want to uh, learn, be teachable, shift on these things. Let's finish up. Number three, what happens when transformed women are all that they should be? Titus 2, verse 5, the end. This is also that the word of God will not be dishonored. Women, when they are transformed and being everything that they should be, whether they are old or young, they help prevent the word of God from being dishonored. They help keep the word of God from being dishonored. That means the word of God can't be slandered. It's the word for blaspheme. They won't blaspheme the word of God. They won't defame it. They won't speak irreverently about it. They won't speak disrespectfully about it. When? When? When older women and younger women are all transformed by the gospel and living the ways that they live. So what Paul is saying here is that Christianity and the church on the island of Crete, it's going to be judged particularly by the impact that the gospel has on the women. And so it's the older woman's job to be concerned about her own character so that she can then, in turn, help train the younger woman to be of a certain kind of gospel character. And then the women are helping to protect God's revelation, the gospel, to be profaned by the onlookers. So do you see how much depends on the women in the church? They are a crucial part of the church, and they need to be paid attention to by the church. So the world around us, to a certain extent, is going to judge us and the gospel based on the character of whom? Your wife, your daughter, your mom. Let me put it another way. Outside the world um, will judge the truth and the power of the gospel by the way that the women live in our homes and church. I love MacArthur's quote here, page 87 in his commentary. The world judges the gospel, which is the heart of the word of God. That right there, I just that's a great statement. The world judges the gospel, which is the heart of the word of God, by the character of the people who believe and claim to be transformed by it. They do. They do. we got to be the right kind of people. Now, why can we do this? Well, because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, etc. It's possible. Okay? For your homework, there are 23 questions. Um, try to aim and, and maybe just work through about half of them. Okay? Sound good? Let me pray. And thank you guys so much for letting us just go a little bit over. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it was good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these men. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them. Help them um, to rest in the gospel. Lord, I, I, how can any one of us, after looking at the word of God, feel like, yeah, you know, I'm, I measure up to this. None of us feel that way. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be content with... Um, knowing that, that your gospel can bring about a power for change in the days to come. We can do, as has been said, we can put a stake in the ground by your grace and move forward. I pray, Lord, that we would do that, that we wouldn't look back, that we would only look forward and, and strive to be the men that you desire us to be. Help us to align our own lives with Titus 2, 3 to 5, our leadership in our homes, 
We don't want to be found working against you, God, in what your gospel wants to produce in our wives and in our daughters and our moms. So God, please work in us. Help us to uh, be a, a, a ready tool in your hand to help shape the women to be what they must be so that your gospel is seen to be the beautiful, awesome doctrine that it is. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys.